This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. We are in Psalm 27 this morning. It is it is a psalm that has uh, like many, but one of the psalms that has many passages that you'll recall hearing from your past. You'll, if you've been in church, you'll see the quotes. If you've been on uh, social media, and, and some people like post scripture or post a passage on their page, you'll you'll have seen some of these uh, verses on their page because they're they're very quotable. And oftentimes that's true of songs. When we sing songs and when we songs are written, the uh, verses are very quotable. And the same is true of David and the same is true of the book of Psalms. And I guess that's probably the reason why the book of Psalms is is so beloved is because because there's so much in here, so many good things that are well said. If if you and I know it's the word of God and obviously it's well said. Sometimes the poetry of music is well said. It it, it says it in such a way that it, it touches your heart. And as we as we go into this this psalm, we're going to see those things. I love things that are well said or put together. Something that's well said is something that says very meaningful and powerful things in a very few words. And uh, and being able to do that is something that I may not have a, 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 a big grasp upon, but I like to see it done by others. And super intelligent people or super knowledgeable people about a certain subject can oftentimes do that. And David was very knowledgeable about his relationship with God. He's very knowledgeable about God. And that's because he'd spend a lot of time with God. And uh, you say, how, how is that? He was a, a, a shepherd. His father uh, kept sheep, and shepherds have to spend a lot of time by themselves out in the fields uh, watching over the flock. And they can spend that time doing things themselves, or they can spend that time with God. And, and David, apparently, as a young man, spent a lot of time with God and uh, spent a lot of time learning how to play and sing. And uh, as such, he became acquainted with the ways of God and then began to be acquainted with the will of God and began to seek that will out. And ultimately, God, he found favor in God's eyes because uh, he was a man after God's own heart, God says of him. This is, that's why when you uh, read the book of Psalms, and the book of Psalms is primarily the, most of the writing of David, you, you get an insight into someone who uh, walked with God very closely. And says so. He says uh, in Psalm twenty-seven, "The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear?" You've heard that before, right? I know you have. Many songs quote many times. That is, it is one of the powerful verses of Scripture, and it's one of those verses I always say, highlight, underline, and memorize. The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's and, and what I love about it is David is not only poetic. David is not only a master of words, but David is also a not is very knowledgeable about the processes of God 
and his work in our lives because salvation is a process. And he illuminates that using the word light. He says, the Lord is the light of my salvation, which means God shows us his way. He reveals it. He unveils it. He, he illuminates the path that we should go. And I use that. We talk about this all the time. And if you're in the book of Psalms, you're going to talk about it because that's, that is what, that's what the Psalms is about. The Bible tells, tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. And notice that's a, that's a, that's another, another passage that's talking about a way or a path. And notice the, the, the way of the path is not a singular path. It's the path, it is a singular path, but it's not a mono path. It's not a, a singular path for everyone. It's a path for that person, that child. The, each child, each person has their own path to walk and their own uniqueness to glorifying God. And he says, God is the light of that salvation. God illuminates those things. And so you can't really be on the path that God prepares for you if God's not leading you. Well, you can't find it. You wouldn't, you would never naturally find it. It has to be, it has to be illuminated. It has to be revealed. It has to be unveiled. And only in God's light only in in his illumination can you actually find it. I think of, I don't know, it goes way back, but Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, when they when they come in, out and there's this giant crevice and they got to cross it and they realize it's, I think, it, I think that the actual thing is called the step of faith and they, and it looks like, how, how do you have a step of faith? And then they take some, they take some dirt and throw it out and they realize that due to the coloring of the path, it looks like it blends in with the wall on the other side. And so you can't see the path or the step of faith that is required. And then when the dirt gets on it, you can see the path. This is far better <laughs> than that solution. God's light does uh, illuminate the path that he's fast for us. And, but it's very similar to that situation in that God's, without God's light, there seems to be no way. There seems to be no path. And the path that uh, has to be made is a path made by yourself, cut by your own hands, and uh, ultimately leads to nowhere for you. And so the only path to really be on is the path that God has made us for. The Lord is the strength of my life. So he's not only the one who illuminates, he's the one also who provides the, the power, the strength by which we uh, walk that path. He says, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, I didn't speak about that in the first part of the verse, but noted the idea of fear and being afraid are very real. They're very, and you think, well, David shouldn't. David, why would he be afraid? He was a young man and he went after Goliath. We would say of David that he was fearless. He's a fearless character in the Bible, but that's not true. If you read David's writing, probably the predominant emotion he battled with is fear. And I would say this, the truth is that those who act like they're not afraid and puff up like they're afraid, those are usually the ones who are the most afraid. And men, generally speaking, are a very fearful lot. They're a very fearful group of people. Men don't want to say that they're afraid, but they live their whole life raging and battling against the inner fear that's in them. And that's because they're told that they're not supposed to be afraid. That there is a natural part of our, of our uh, sinfulness that fears everything. And the enemy tries its very best 
to scare us away from God's will through fear. But that being said, let's go all the way back. But fear is literally the antithesis of faith. It's the opposite of faith. It's in opposition to faith. Because, and, and, and listen, you can have faith while struggling with the emotion of fear. You can have faith with struggling with fear. You can. In fact, fear over, faith overcomes fear. Because as you trust God and move forward, and that's important, you don't just trust God and stand where you are on the path, but as you trust God and move forward on the path, the fear that the fears that, that you warred or battled against, those fears dissipate in, in the, in the knowledge, the understanding, the experience of walking with God. And so there comes a time when those fears fade away. And oftentimes, as I look around, the righteous struggle with fear. They do. They're, they're, we're sheep. We're easily run off by fear. But fear, fear is the enemy and the antithesis of our faith. And so what you've got to do is you've got to trust God and move forward, even in the midst of uh, fear. And David is saying that. He says, He's the light of my path. Whom shall I fear? He's the Lord of my and He provides that strength for my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me, notice he's referring back to the past and what God has done for him in the past. That's why you, if you're new on the path that God has for you, if you're newly learning how to walk along that path, then I'm going to tell you, you're going to deal with a lot of issues because God is going to take you through those issues and teach you how to deal with those issues. If you're farther along the path and you've been walking with God for a while, you're going to have those experiences in the path to draw in the path to draw upon. Now, oftentimes we as sheep forget those, those experiences and God has to remind us by taking us back through similar situations. We go back through the low country sometimes so that God can remind us of the things that he's been doing and the things that he is going to continue to do in our life and remind us how to trust him in these situations. But, but the truth is, is that, that all the situations of life that would raise great fear in your heart, all those situations in your life that would raise those great fears in your heart, God has put you in those situations so that you would learn to trust him in the midst of them and then overcome those fears. He said, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Notice it right when they got to him to destroy him, they stumbled and fell. And I found that to be true all the time. The big boogeyman, it looks like a giant. It looks like it it cannot be destroyed. And then all of a sudden, right at the right at the last moment, right at the right time, God shows up and they stumble and fall and they're nothing. Literally dissipate in the wind. They just they just vanish before you because they were always an illusion. They were illusory. They were always uh, an illusion out there in front of you. And so it says, though an army may encamp against me, he's saying not only one, but Though the whole world, it seems like, an army, a whole army of camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Notice David is dealing with fear and showing us uh, how he trusts God in the midst of it. He says, though war my rock might rise against me, is this in this I will be confident. And what he's saying is I'm going to be confident that I'm going to remain on the path God has for me. And I'm not going to allow fear to destroy me. One thing I've desired of the Lord, 
that I will seek. And this is a this was more commonly uh, spoken of when I was a younger man, and and I've seen it less lately. But he says, one thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, inquire in His temple. That is a powerful verse. If you could memorize the whole thing, that would be fabulous. Just like verse one, boy, I would memorize. This whole chapter is a great chapter to memorize if you struggle with fear. It is a great ch chapter to memorize if you're dealing with fear. He said, this is the desire of my heart. And, and listen to me, this is how you overcome fear. He says, one thing I desire of the Lord that I will seek. Now, now notice, he's not going to just desire it. He is going to seek it. That's the step of faith, the first step of faith. And you must do this. Listen to me. Just because you want to have courage, spiritual courage and courage in your Lord doesn't mean you're going to get it because what must happen next is the believer must seek it. He says, if you seek me, you will find me, but you got to seek me with your whole heart. And it can't be half-hearted and it can't be uh, partial. When he says, He'll seek, if you seek me, you'll find me. You need to understand and see in this passage, in this verse, he says, I've desired it and I'm going to seek it. One thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, which means he doesn't want to just go and meet with God. He wants to make God's house his house. He wants to be in God's presence more than he's anywhere else. That's where his dwelling is. And the question is, are you seeking to be in God's presence more than anywhere else? Because that is the first step of fear, because the way to know the king is to be in the presence of the king regularly. The way to walk by faith in him is to know his character and nature on a regular basis. Lots of Christians only see the character and nature of God, only get uh, partial glimpses of it by being uh, in church maybe one or two times a month, or maybe uh, uh, listen to somebody uh, speak about some kind of spiritual issue a couple of times a month. Uh, a lot of believers, a lot of believers, an innumerable amount of believers, they only survive off of crumbs from God because they're not around to ever really get a full meal. I can't say that enough. The Bible warns us against forsaking the assembly of the saints. Because I'll tell you, I, I, I like speaking to this phone because I know that there are people listening and there are people hearing this. I enjoy uh, doing it because it has it, it's, ha it's having its effect. God's word's going out and it's not coming back void. But the truth is, there's something far more powerful when God's people come together. And I'm looking at a camera right now. And if you've been in, in, in a place where I've taught or, or, or been in a place where I've where I'm preaching, you realize that I look people in the eyes while I'm preaching. I don't preach from notes. The God's word is my outline. And then I just, I go from there and allow the Holy Spirit to empower whatever I'm saying so that I deliver it by his power and not my own. And the one of the ways that's very, that makes it so powerful is I get to see the emotions. I get to see the effect it's having on people. And I get to see when something uh, touches them so that I can dig deeper and help that have its full effect in their lives. And so me doing this with a camera, I'm going to tell you, I look at the camera. I got a pop socket on the back of it that my, my daughter Becca gave me. It's a quote from uh, Ben Shapiro, facts don't care about your feelings. 
And that's really all I've got right there. There, the 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 uh, stand that it's on looks like uh, a war machine, a world machine out of Superman's movie, and it says Joby on it. So I've got Joby and Ben Shapiro's quote, and that's really all I got in front of me. Every once in a while, God will have something neat happen out over the lake behind you. Uh, a couple of days ago, there was an eagle that flew by in the middle of the server, in the middle of the Bible study. But I, I don't get any, I don't get any feedback. There's no connection being made. And, and let me tell you, the power of relationship, the power of relationship is one of the, one of the great forces that God used to build his people and to build individuals up. And when God's people are together, there's a power that comes from that. And when God's people are in relationship and in right relationship with each other, and this is important, when God's people are in relationship and in right relationship with each other, and that means you have to be loving and forbearing and long-suffering with people. Listen to me, you got to be loving and forbearing and long-suffering with people because their issues are not overcome in the moment, and uh, you don't earn the right to even have a chance to help them in the midst of their issues unless they feel your love and your long-suffering. And remember, your ideas about how things should be done are not always totally in line with God's plans for how things should be done. Your ideas and God's plans are not equal and they're not always on the, uh, always the same. And just because you feel like God's empowered you to do a certain thing or put you in a place to do a certain thing doesn't mean that, that you get to just go willy nilly out there and do it your own. He's empowered you so that he might lead you so that you might be the most effective you possibly can be. And there's a power in relationship and there's a power in knowing uh, who you're dealing with. And, and that same power that we, we're talking about in the church, that same power is also uh, magnified or multiplied by our spending time with God and our relationship with God. And so David here is saying, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. He says, all the days of my life, Notice he wants to behold the beauty of the Lord. He wants to look and see who God really is. And, and I love that he uses the word beauty. It's a, it has a characteristic to it. And it says, and to inquire in his temple. Notice, I want to look on him and see who he really is. The wonderfulness, the beauty um, of God. And I want to inquire in his temple. I want to be able to ask him questions. Now, that is a subject matter I could spend a lot of time on too, because so many Christians do not want to, they, I'm going to tell you, the Nicolaitans, the, those who would rule over you, don't want you asking too many questions. But God, and there's that Robin, right, I'm talking about just right outside the window, looking around the red Robin, she's always around. Anyway, uh, a lot of Christian leaders don't want anybody to become more knowledgeable about God than them, which also limits how much they can know. You cannot drive sheep. You have to lead sheep. You drive cattle are a picture of the uh, power of the flesh. So if you're driving a bunch of cattle and you've got a giant cattle herd moving across the plains, it looks great, but it's not God's people and it's not God's plan. Just letting you know, okay? Uh, it's not God's people and not God's. Leading sheep is very difficult and it's it's not easy. And the way you lead people is you lead them up to the throne room and then you tell them to inquire of the Lord, which means not to ask him what the future is, to ask him what he's doing in the moment we're in. And they, they're, they're some great words to learn to use with God and, and, and they're simple words. And, and you might even want to write that there's the word why. It's a great word to use with God. 
Why is this happening? Why are things going this way? Another another great, great word to remember when you're in the presence of God is how, God, are you working in this? How is this according to your plan? How do we find what you're doing in the midst of this? Great word to ask God. Another great word. What, God, what would you have me do? What is my role in this? Some great words right there. How, why, what, God, when are you going to, when are you going to execute this plan? We're anxious to see what you've got to do, Lord. When is this going to happen? See, great words, and none of them over four letters. Most of them three letters. When, how, why. All these words that, that, that have great significance because the only way to inquire is to ask questions. And David felt it very important that he not only dwell in the house of the Lord, but that he asked questions. For in the time of trouble, now notice once, once you've done that, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Notice, if I'm regularly in his house, when trouble comes, he hides me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle. He puts me over here and hides me so that nothing can happen to me. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, which means he's going to put me in a place that they can't even reach me. And there is great truth to that. When we serve God, God's angels protect us in ways that that you will never know until you're in his presence and things uh, as they truly are face to face. He says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Notice he's going to he's going to put us in a place where we are above and we destroy. We we're easily seen by them, yet unreachable to them. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Now, a sacrifice of joy is not a sacrifice. There's a difference. Different sacrifices. It's not a it's not a blood sacrifice for atonement. A sacrifice of joy is a fellowship sacrifice. And that involves eating, and that warms my heart. But the grain offerings and uh, sacrifices of joy, bread offerings. Who doesn't like? I need some Panera bread, even today. Anyway, the offering of joy sacrifice is a fellowship offering. And because God does these things, we walk in joy. He says, I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Now, the question is, are you willing to sing praises to God? This is getting me off on a tangent. I might even have to come back to this this psalm again. It's so full of stuff. But but I'm not a great singer. Everybody knows that. But I learned as a very young man, uh, a young man being called by God, that there is a very heavy necessity and importance. <clears throat> even though I was going to be a man of his word and preaching and teaching his word, there was great importance in singing and singing to God, and and it should not be approached carelessly, and it should not be approached lightly, and it is it has great value for God's people that they sing to him, that they praise him, because it tunes your emotions into God. Now, <clears throat> that being said, the devil was the leader of worship before he was kicked out of heaven. He hovered above God, and God, and, and the angelic host looked at him because he had stones on him and he shone forth the glory of God. And that's why he became began to be very prideful. So oftentimes those who lead worship began to take pride thinking that they're the ones who everybody's glorifying rather than God glorifying them. So it's a very dangerous and tough position to be in. So we need to be in prayer for those who lead worship for us because they're in, in a very difficult position. And when I say difficult, it's, it's wonderful, it's glorious, but it's also very hard because the struggle is real as far as worship is concerned for those who lead worship because the enemy is so intimate with it. He understands it probably the most of anything that we do is worship. He understands that. And so 
we have to be very careful about that. But, and we need to be very prayerful for those who lead worship, every person on that stage, because the enemy attack is to bring them down and to get them off the stage and to get them out of out of the place where they are leading God's people in worship. And that happens for every person on there. There has to be extra grace provided for them. That being said, if you're leading worship, you need to understand that. You need to understand that completely, that that um, pride has to be set aside and that and that love and grace has to be flow from you. And you have to realize that you're not, you're leading worship, but you're leading people to worship God and they're not worshiping you. And anyone can be, anyone, uh, you're not the singular most important thing. Obviously no one is, God is. And so anybody can be replaced and any person who's leading worship needs to um, be exuding love and needs to spend a lot of time in God's word, spend a lot of time uh, preparing themselves because the task you're doing has great significance, importance, and it has it has it has many pitfalls in it. And so he says here, he says, "I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord." And that has to do with the overcoming of God. And God's people need to have a time of worship, and a time of worship where where we're not worried about what's going on up there on the stage, but we know that the people who are leading uh, up front are heartfelt, desiring God's will to be done in their lives and not concerned about themselves, but what they're doing is a great concern for others. If it's done properly and done, God gives you great blessing and reward in it. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. And that's what happens is we, we come in and we worship him with song and everyone in the service needs to worship. If you have a, if you have a heart that seeks after God, you need to worship and worship in full voice. And when you do that, then the door is open not only for you, but you open the door for many others to pour out their heart. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, his, have mercy also upon me and answer me. And, and there are so many that need to be able to, uh, to seek God out, but they can't. And, and you loosen their tongue and you loosen their lives up in the midst of worship when you sing and when you praise God, because the enemy must fade away. The enemy must shrink from that because the praises and the glory of God drive it out. They drive the enemy out. And so it's very necessary that we have that going on. I'm going to come back and I'm going to deal with verses 8 through 14 tomorrow, and, and we'll talk about those also. But I think it's very important that you look over these first uh, seven verses of this psalm and, and see the the dealing with fear that David does, the seeking out of God that he, he explains in, in some great detail, and then the power of singing and worshiping God because he has delivered us and what that, what that leads to and, and what that uh, means for us. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.